Well, good morning, everybody. And we are having another episode of Align with Lina today on July the 8th of 2019. And Align with Lina is nothing more than a conversation that I offer to anybody who wants to hear how are ordinary people like me, like you, achieving the alignment with the truth, with the God, spirit, source, creator, whatever you want to call it. And today I have a wonderful guest, Diane Glenn. Now, Diane is somebody that I happen to know personally because we go to the same spiritual center. We both attend Unity. And Diane's journey has been absolutely remarkable to watch over the last years that I've known her because she has gone through some pretty challenging things, but she has always had her faith in her truth and being aligned with her truth has helped her move through very uncomfortable things with a level of grace that is only attainable by one who knows that there is a higher power that is always working with us, through us, and for us. So well, help me welcome this amazing woman, Diane. Diane, I am so excited that you're here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I've been watching some of your interviews, and, and they are phenomenal, just like you. So thank ah, you for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you. So let's, let's just dive in, because there's so much I want people to be able to hear about your life. So let's start at the beginning. You enter into this world and you are living your life like the rest of us. You get conditioned with certain um, beliefs that your family has. They get passed down to you. And then, like everybody, there is a moment where you begin to say there's got to be another way. Um, when did that other way begin to stir inside of you? So I would say, actually, when I was about 14. So I was raised Catholic. And so I went to Catholic school for 12 years. And eight of those years was, um, you know, prior to high school, where we were taught that we had to believe this way. There was no questioning. There was catechism. Everything was by rote. You know, even the classroom situations were was a little strange in that you had one nun with 50 kids in a classroom and no help. So, you know, we were good little kids sitting in our little desks learning, you know, Catholicism and not being allowed to question anything. And so then I went to high school, which was a different school, and catechism class became theology class, and discussion ensued, which threw at me for a loop because I was never allowed to question anything before, and then all of a sudden we're having these discussions. And so I began to question it and question the Catholic, you know, the Catholic belief system just out of curiosity. And what I began to recognize at that particular time in my life was the question that popped up and it has stayed with me for years is how can we be so naive to think that we are it? <laughs> that's the journey that started me on, you know, it's the search. It's a non never ending search for understanding my place in the universe. Um, and how does this all work? You know, we are just one little speck in this infinite universe how can we think that we are so special or how can we think that we're not so special? So that's where it all began for me. Wow, that that is so cool to hear because as you're speaking, it's taken me back to my childhood because I grew up, well, I grew up Catholic, but in reality, I grew up confused. Yeah, I, that's true. My dad um, was Catholic, you know, he Irish, Italian. My mother, uh, we grew up in the Dominican Republic where Christopher Columbus built the first cathedral of the Americas. And I grew up going to Latin mass. I went to, to schools with nuns. So my, my grandmother or my, my mother's side, they were Catholics, um, but they only went to, to Catholic, uh, to church every so often on Sundays. But my mother who grew up going to, uh, to nuns, going to school with nuns, her entire um, elementary, middle school, high school, uh, she w became an atheist because she didn't believe the stuff that they that they were teaching. So as she became an adult, she totally rebelled against that. But the Catholic schools were were all the best schools in the Dominican. Everything else was was public and it was not as good. So everybody that was anybody would go to a Catholic school. So I had to go there. So my mom was OK with that because of the better education that I was getting. But she would always tell me, don't believe what they teach you about religion because none of it is true. It's all made up. 
So I grew up, re, you know, memorizing these things, like you said, the catechism, all, all, all that, um, all that stuff, going through my first communion, going through all those, those things. But in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, well, my mom told me this is not true, so I'm going to memorize it, but it doesn't mean anything to me, except for what I heard about Jesus, I always felt a kinship to Jesus because I thought he was so loving. He had to have been true. Um, so that's kind of funny. So your Catholic upbringing definitely. Yeah. And I think the same thing as far as the teachings of Jesus. I think I touched on that. I mean, I, that touched me as I was growing up. But it was all of the, the background stuff, you know, the rules and the regulations. And you have to do this and, you know, getting called. My, I remember my mother. My mother was very liberal and she, you know, she, she would be the probably the one mom that would argue with the nuns about the way they were treating us. Right. Um, so she, in, in, a lot, in some ways she was similar to yours in that she she just wanted us to get the education, but not the not the nonsense behind the scenes, not the indoctrination. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. it was similar in that way. My mother was really very instrumental in um, in my desire she supported my desire to question things because that was kind of her journey as well so yeah that was, that was a good part of it that's awesome and to the viewers who are with us if you guys have any comments or some of these things resonate with you by all means please please post your comments so even though at 14 you started then to question things you still got indoctrinated so tell me what was your journey like as you began to discover that there was more than what you have been taught and that you could question things where did that curiosity lead you and how did that did that process of letting go of some of the indoctrination and begin to really align with with more truth how how did that unfold for you well i think it was a slow process i mean how, you know going to catholic school for 12 years that really was all i knew Although I, you know, had neighbors that were, of, of, you know, that were of the Jewish faith, and and didn't, it was a very typical suburban town in New York, and um, I didn't really get much opportunity to explore other religions, so to speak. But what I did get to explore was through journaling. That's when I started to write. Was in high school, and I kept, I had books and books and books that I, you know, just typical high school writing down. But mine was more exploring how I felt about different situations in my life and, and trying to bring my understanding of God at that time into my writing. Um, and I used to question things. I used to just get curious. Well, what about this? You know, what if, you know, how, how does the Catholic church's teachings um, show up in my life? And I couldn't really do that. I couldn't get them. What I was trying to find was a way to live my life and I wasn't really get, being served there. Um, so over the years, we, you know, I left the Catholic Church uh, for un unfortunate reasons and began to explore other traditions and started studying Yogananda, for example, and, and his teachings and Gandhi and, and the different spiritual, modern spiritual teachers um, were more of where I headed. And what I began to recognize as I began this, as I went through this journey is most of what is being taught from a spiritual perspective is the same thing. It's just being taught in different ways. And what I needed to find in my lifetime was a way that really resonated with me that I could live that way, you know, that I could begin to incorporate those teachings into my daily life. Um, so it's gleaning a little bit from everyone, you know, from all these wonderful teachers, um, but I needed to find a way that I could live, learn to live my life this way. And that's the, the journey still continues for that. Yes, I love that. And, you know, something that you said, um, you know, apparently there were there were some disappointments, mm -hmm. uh, some things that happened that caused you to to make some shifts. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I I began to experience it as I began to question and I didn't start my journey full on until I was 41 when my mom passed away. But as a child, I definitely had a lot of doubts and moments that I didn't, it, it just didn't feel right. What I was being taught was truth. Right. But so my, my journey really began in earnest in my, at 41. And what I began to realize is what I was learning about uh, God 
and Jesus was so different than not just my my Catholic upbringing, but then I went on to go to Methodist churches and also I I participated in non-denominational churches, but they all taught about fear. They taught about the crucifixion. They taught about, um, you know, death being real and punishment. And it seemed like no matter what I did, I was going to go to hell because even though I was told, accept Jesus as your savior, I was also told that if you have sins, you're going to go to hell. So I couldn't wrap my head around those two things. They were just too opposite for me. So as I began my spiritual journey, I began to get comfortable with the idea that there is no hell, number one. Number two, we're eternal. So, you know, it's like there is a continuation. So there's no death for me. But then there are death as we know it. Um, There's also uh, a loving creator. And in its love and its benevolence, there is no such thing as punishment, as judgment, as anything bad happening. So death is the death of the physical body, of the idea of separation, but not of the oneness that remains forevermore. So as I'm learning these truths, my friends who were religious, you know, my Bible Belt friends, they didn't like that. So I lost just about all of my friends. I mean, the whole community left. So what happened to you? So mine was a little bit different. So we we um, were married in the Catholic Church, Dan and I, and we were, the, the wedding was co-officiated by my parish priest and his. Um, and we became friends with his parish, you know, the priest that he knew as he was growing up and his mother was very close to this man. He baptized our daughter. He was at dinner at our house and he was a friend of ours. Um, and then suddenly, but we noticed something was odd. You know, he was being moved from parish to parish. You know, he was in our parish for a while and then he was transferred. And then come to find out through the news actually is how we found out that he was arrested. He was arrested for pedophilia. Oh boy. Yeah, so that was a huge, very, very difficult time for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we so we left the Catholic Church never to return. And his mother, Dan's mother, I think was very affected by this, but also she never lost her her belief in Catholicism. And she always, you know, she knew that we left the Catholic Church and she always was trying to find ways to, I used to say, save our souls, you know, that she really was didn't want us to have nothing. And um, so for a while, there was anger. You know, there was, I had to be absolute anger because this is somebody who I had in my home. I was angry, totally, completely angry at the Catholic Church for allowing this to continue and hiding it. Um, and so we walked away. And so for a long time, for probably I, uh, probably years, we had no church. We just did not want to step inside of another church. We actually tried going back to the Catholic Church once, once or twice. And, and just did not feel comfortable knowing what we now knew and yeah. how, how things were being handled. Um, but at the core, again, you know, like what you were saying is that, you know, there is that question of heaven and hell and good, you know, good and evil. And um, uh, born into, you know, I, at the age of 14 or so is when I began to question being born into original sin. You know, we were born guilty of something yeah we did not know what that guilt you know what that thing was that we did that was so horrible um so i always questioned that um and so throughout the years even with catholicism at the core the teachings at the core when we go back to the teachings of jesus which is what i've learned so much over the years is when you go back to the core of what was being taught at the time it was being taught is so different than what is being taught in the Catholic Church or in many of the churches today. I don't want to just focus on the Catholic Church, but many yeah. of the they they do focus on the fear fear factor, you know, of trying to um, convince you that if you don't follow this truth, you're gonna you're gonna burn somewhere. Yeah, and that just never ever ever sat well with me. Yeah. I knew that that wasn't true. I knew it wasn't true. So I think actually the break from the Catholic Church, the way that it happened, was probably the best thing that that could have happened for us because it began for Dan and I, my husband and I on a journey of seeking. Yeah. And we continue to seek to this day to seek to understand um, all along the way. So although the break was, was very painful, it was also in, I find this to be true of many things um, that that break was very painful, but it was the best thing that could have happened because it opened up the, the doors just so much more. 
Yes, and I totally agree with you. And, you know, I've been a coach now for about 13 years, 13 plus years. And every single person that I have worked with, and obviously my own personal life, everything that seemed to shatter a paradigm that I trusted in was almost as if, well, not almost, it was as if a wall came down and it opened me up it opened my clients up for something new that was actually bigger and grander than what that wall prevented us from experiencing so it is it's an opening into something something else you know when when i started my journey as i said earlier was because my mom passed away and what really got me to question my my catholic upbringing my christian like you said you know don't focus just on catholic let's just focus on anything that is christian based that is associating its teachings as truth according to what jesus taught so one of the things that i began to realize after my mom passed away is that i had this incredible fear of death because I grieved my mom's death for way longer than any normal person should have been grieving somebody's death. I'd already lost my dad before that. I lost my grandparents. So I had I had experienced a lot of grief before that. But this one was somehow way out of control. And I had a friend, I call her my angel friend, who, you know, in a conversation, she was asking me, what what is it that has you so upset? And when I said to her, well, I'm afraid of dying. If I were to die today, I have done so many bad things. I am going to go to hell. My mom did so many bad things. She has got to be, you know, churning and burning in hell. So that friend gave me a book about near-death experiences where somebody who also happened to be Catholic, um, the book was called Into the Light. She died, had a near-death experience on the operating table and came to a place of realizing that on the other side, it, it was God, it was love, it was light, it was eternalness. So that helped me a little bit, although it, it made me uh, a little nervous because I was I was reading something the church told me was taboo. So I was experiencing a different kind of fear. And then that same friend gave me a book by Dr. Brian Weiss called Many Masters, Many Lives about uh, past lives. So I was literally standing between future lives and past lives, realizing the eternalness of our soul, that, that life is a circle. It is a never ending circle that shattered the paradigms of sinfulness of death of separation i mean it it blew a massive wall that was constructed in my consciousness of limitation about what is there beyond this that allowed me to literally be so at peace with with um who i was my sins it's almost like they were washed away immediately when i realized wow if i'm eternal and I am as God created me, and I and God is love, because that's what's on the other side. It just totally, completely opened me up to living my life totally differently. So, what happened to you after you began to realize that you are not what you were taught you were, and here you're exposing yourself to other teachings? What were some of the truths that you began to discover? So it's interesting that you were talking about your mom, and one of the things that you know that. I heard from you is that through all of this that you were open to the infinite possibilities and so one of the things one of the turning another one of the turning points in my life was also had to do with my mother's my mother's death and her passing and she died in um, 1994 so it's been about 25 years since she died and um, she was my best friend and so my mother the story of my mother many people know about my mother because I've written about her she was born she was a rubella baby and so she was born with uh, physical uh, challenges. She had no uh -huh. feet. So she had, she was born with no feet. She just had uh, uh, heels. And so she had to learn how to live in this world being different. And my grandmother and her both tell the same story of when she was a little girl. And, um, and this is in the 1920s or maybe like the early 1930s. And she came running home crying because the kids in the neighborhood were making fun of her yeah. because of her funny shoes that she had to wear. And they both tell the same story from different sides of the front door. So my grandmother was on the inside of the door and my mother was on the outside and my grandmother would not let her in 
because she felt very strongly that my mother had to learn how to live her life the way she was. And so my mother's on one side, let me in crying. They're making fun of me. I can't live like this. I can't do this. She was a little girl. And my grandmother's on the other side crying, not letting her in, knowing that she has to find a way to live in this world. And so the phrase always came up for me, learning how to stand on your own two feet. So no matter what, what we are thrown, what, no matter what is thrown at us, no matter what our circumstances are, we have the opportunity there's infinite possibility and infinite opportunity to learn how to live this life better. And so that's what my mother taught me. So when my mother was dying, I was her primary caregiver. And so at that particular time in my life, my son Danny was three, my daughter was 13, my husband and I were both working full-time job, jobs and we have, had this crazy black lab that was living with us. And my mother lived, you know, we lived, my mother lived with us as well. So I was her primary caregiver and she was diagnosed in, with mesothelioma in, in September and she died in December. So it was three months. It was very, very fast. Yeah. And I, my whole life turned around in those three months. And um, so the day, the 24 hours or so before she was, she died, I, you know, had taken the leave of absence from my job and I was spending all of my time caring for her and hospice was very much involved, which I was so grateful for because they talked talked me through the steps. Okay, this is what will happen next. This is where she is now. And so she went into a coma and I had probably been up for close to 36 to 40 hours. I was exhausted, but I wanted, my goal was to be with my mother when she died and it was at home. She wanted to die at home. And, um, I just couldn't stay awake. So it was probably about four o'clock in the morning. And I said to her, she's in a coma. And I said to her, mom, I'm just gonna lay down on the sofa right next to you just for like five minutes. I just wanna rest my eyes. And during that five minutes, literally, I felt a wave of energy pass over me. Mm. And I woke up and knowing she had passed. Oh, wow. And that wave of energy was almost as if she was saying, it's done. You can rest. Yeah. And I have to tell you that that was the worst and the best experience of my entire life because it made me realize more than anything else in my lifetime that we are that. We are that energy that I speak of. You know, we are that and we do continue. She had another journey that she was going to to begin as this one ended and she was saying to me it's done. I've done. Yeah. I've done what I did. I've done what I've come here to do. Now you can move forward, and I can move on. And so, for me, that as traumatic as that was in my life, um, it was also magnificent. It was one of the most highlights of my life was being there and witnessing that because that, actually that is the moment where really things changed for me spiritually. I had no doubt, there was no doubt from that moment on that there is a power greater than all of us that is living and breathing as us. And it just still to this day gives me chills. Yes, I, as you were saying it, I was getting chills. And, and I, I'd like to say that, you know, and I say it on a regular basis, that my mom's passing, passing um, was also very significant. And in essence, she gave birth to me twice. Mm -hmm. She gave birth to me physically and her passing gave birth to my spiritual awakening. So it, it's, I, I am always grateful that I was able to uh, use her death as the first real clear um, understanding that there is nothing that happens that is against us, that God, source, spirit, what I've come to align with as my source of truth um, is a benevolent power and every circumstance is always an opportunity for me to show up as the presence of love or not. Um, so that, that transformed me. So I then went on to face, to look at death very differently. And I then went on to face one of the biggest challenges of my life, which is when my youngest son started doing drugs. And I entered into a period of four years where I didn't know if I was gonna, if that was gonna be the last day I was gonna see him. If the, the moment that he was doing drugs or went off on a party, if I would ever see him again or if I would see him in jail or if I would if he was going to do so many drugs in such a way that he would become impaired in some way. 
And boy, that was a four year journey of testing my belief in in the eternalness of life so that I could be present to what was happening and not in my mind already go to a future death of his that I was in fear and pre-planning. So all of my spiritual teachings, I had to ground in that four year period. And I know you've gone through um, mm -hmm. several deaths, of course, very close ones with your brothers. How did your um, spiritual journey, how did that help you move through, you know, first Phil's passing um, and then Charlie's walk us through how how did you stay aligned to your truth as you were moving through those challenges? So it's interesting. My my family's always been quite close, you know. So I'm I'm blessed in that that I'm, I'm, I have a really good relationship with my brothers, and um, and yet they were my brothers, you know. So so there's always that sibling not rivalry in my house necessarily, but superiority. You know, Phil was the oldest brother, and of course, you know, he was he ruled the roost. Um, but as we became adults, of course, we, that started to slip away and we became closer. And I always considered him Phil my big brother. And so his journey with um, pulmonary fibrosis was a very long one. He was he had it for 13 years, oh, which is highly unusual. It's usually a three to five year lifespan once you're diagnosed. And so he learned to live with it. He ended up not going on any of the drugs because they made him feel terrible. And he just learned to live with the disease for a while until it, it until it overtook him and so he for a while he you know the last probably three years of his life he was in and out of the hospital i think there was one year he spent 240 days in the hospital you know wow. he was just really really sick and he went through many um uh, life threatening incidences where he you know should have died six times or so you know but every time um, throughout the entire period, it's when, really when I began to tap into the power of prayer and big time. You know, I've always prayed internally, but I've never, uh, at the, up until that point, I rarely, I, I would say, tapped into prayer from a collective perspective. You know, and social media is great for those kinds of things. And I would put out requests for prayer. You know, my brother's in this situation right now. All, you know, all prayers, please, would be welcome, that type of thing. And it began to grow and it began to, and I began to see changes in myself and my community and my family. Um, throughout this period of time where um, just through the power of prayer, I would become more centered. I would know that there are many people that are holding us close, that are, are witness to this journey, that are, are, are uh, walking this path with us. And it became very uplifting versus, versus very depressive. Um, and in my family, you know, we all, it's funny, even with my mother, when my mother was passing, my mother called a meeting of my siblings and I and said, okay, Diane, you're my primary caregiver, Phil, you're my liaison between the medical community, Dennis, you're going to get my estate into in, in, in order, and Charlie, you're going to sell my property. You know, like we all had jobs. That's that's how my mother was. And it became kind of the same thing when my brothers were, were ill. We all took on roles, you know, and so mine became the prayer warrior. I became the one that was going to focus on, on, on elevating all of us and holding us all close. Um, and it, it helped. It helped me ground myself spiritually and it helped my family stay focused. It took a lot of the um, weight of the, uh, I don't want to say tragedy, the weight of the situation off of them, knowing that they were being held in prayer. Um, that they, you know, it, for Phil, and this is what I always love, that when I see changes in others as a result of, of, of the work that I'm involved in, is that he and my sister and his wife, Manette, began to say, okay, they would call me and say, can you ask for prayer? Which they never would have done. Never oh, years they would have done. But they would act, Phil would actually have Manette call me and say, you know, he's, he's going to go into surgery tomorrow. Please have him start praying right now, that type of thing. And it, it relaxed them a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, again, it, it was when I began to recognize the power of collective prayer and how if we're all praying, not for an outcome, but actually focusing on the soul of someone or, or the situation just to, to hold them as they go through whatever it is that they need to go through. It's not my journey. 
you know, God has a plan for all of us. The God that lives and breathes as me has a plan for me. Just as that, that, that energy has a plan for everyone. Um, and that my role, I think, is just to protect those that are going through this, to hold them in the highest. And um, it's, it's been a remarkable experience, both with Phil. Now, Charlie's was, of course, much more, more difficult because um, there were so many questions as to his care. You know, with, with Charlie, he was diagnosed last year, January of 2018, he was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. By the end of 2018, he was in need of a lung, um, which was very different than Phil. So both of them had lung transplants. Phil lived for 18 months after his transplant and um, was actually died from cancer. He was diagnosed with cancer and died a month after he was diagnosed. Okay. Um, and then Charlie, unfortunately, he never, he had a lung transplant and he never regained consciousness after his transplant. And there was still to this day, um, he died in March of this year. Yeah. Um, he, there are still many questions as to his medical care. We're still waiting on an autopsy report. Um, you know, it's a legal issue now. But during that time, I remember writing, I actually remember writing, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And that is the human reality. I mean, we this this is my brother. This is my sister-in-law and her, her sons were going through hell. And my whole family was, you know, I had headed up to New York and stopped in Virginia to see my other brother who was ill. And I was told, you know, they wanted to take him off life support, but the hospital wouldn't do it. So there was so much that I had no control over. The only thing I could control was my ability to pray and to stay focused on um, holding my family up. And um, again, a, a phenomenal community, phenomenal community of people and souls that are all focused on that, of just holding the highest and best for whatever the situation will be. Yeah, that, that's amazing, amazing. There, there are two places I wanna go with what you have shared. So. Let me say this one because um, it's really more of a comment. And then the other one is, is just so profound that I know what you will share is going to really impact a lot of people. Um, but the whole part about the prayer is before I started my spiritual journey, I thought prayer was just something I did to ask God to fix things for me. Give me the lottery number. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And it became one of those things where um, you know, I didn't bother using it. Uh, and then I began my spiritual journey and I began to realize that I had direct communication with God. And I began to realize that I'm a powerful creator, as is everybody else, and that we're creating our own reality. And then I entered a phase where my egoic mind got all spiritualized. And I basically was like, we're all creating our own reality. Why? What? You don't even need to pray. Um, create a different reality. Shift out of that reality. You know, if you don't want to be hurting, get out of it. Stop it. And it, it was a part that I I know I had to move through that because it it made me somewhat insensitive. But it it was necessary for me to move out of asking God to give me and realizing I was powerful to then coming to the other place, which is where my the other topic I want to address with you, and that is we're in the world, but when when we awaken, we're not supposed to be of it, but we still have our human stuff. So I had to blend my, yes, I'm the creator of my own reality, and I don't need to be praying to a God outside of me, but I'm still having my human experiences. And that's when prayer became even more profound for me, because I realized that I was no longer praying for something to happen to me. I began to realize that prayer was for something to happen through me. And I began to realize that's how I activate love. That's I'm asking people when I ask them into prayer is so that we collectively bring love to the situation um, for mine and everybody else's good. So having said that about your comment about prayer, now let's talk about how, as you were saying, we have these human things we have to get through. Share how your newfound consciousness helped you move through these these two deaths and you know four years apart between the two. Um, I'm sure you were a different person. I, I know my consciousness is like it evolves every minute. So I'm a new person every minute. 
And what, how were you in the world, but not of it with, with uh, Phil and then with Charlie and, and how did that change? How was your progression in terms of your spirituality shifting? So I think with Phil, it was that I think that whole prayer experience was a learning experience. You know, not that I recognized it as a, a you know, te let's test this out and see if it works. I don't think I ever recognized it as that. Yeah. Um, but it really ended up kind of being like that. You know, I had never really done it to that scale before. Um, and with Charlie, it was more. So there's a couple of things that I want to say, but as a collective prayer practice, you know, for a collective prayer, it was like I kind of knew what I what could happen here. I knew that miracles could happen. But here's the difference with Charlie, not so much. You know, I mean, I he his journey is his journey. You know, yours is yours, mine is mine. There is nothing that I don't believe that I, I think there's very little that can change externally change someone's journey. It's an internal experience with the God of our, of Egypt, of our, our, our understanding, the God of our understanding. It's a, a very personalized journey. And so the power of collective prayer, again, is there to hold people, to help, help carry people through that. And it may not always be what we would want. Of course, I, did, I never would have wanted to see my brother die, but um, that's, that's his journey. And so the power of prayer for me is, is, is to say, whatever the outcome of this, everything is going to be okay because it is in the bed. This, this is just the way uh, God works. And I, and I can experience this as painful as it is on a human level. I know that on a spiritual level, again, just like with my mother, and that's where the lesson began, he's onto something bigger and better. And I need to celebrate that. And that is the wonderful part of this whole thing. And the power of collective prayer, all of those that were praying with us helped support that. Now, the other part that I wanna talk about as far as prayer is concerned, you know, when you're praying, when I pray, you're absolutely right. And you know, that's how we grew up. We were praying to an entity outside of ourselves and, and never got very far with that. You know, it didn't work real well. Um, when I, when I pray, my I pray for clarity, you know, so I usually go into prayer, you know, and for me, there's two differences. There is a difference. Some people don't see, see a difference between prayer and meditation. Uh, you know, meditation is just a centering of myself, trying to bring myself to, to a place of peace and, and uh, so I can step into my day. Um, and I'll go there several times a day during the day if I need to. But prayer, when I, when I actually sit down and, and formulate a prayer in my head, it's, God, please help me to understand. Help me to get clear. Uh, on the situation that I'm in, how should I best handle this? You know, those types of things. I think there's so that that's a different type of prayer. And for me, that's a very meaningful way to um, step forward into a situation that um, I, I am unsure of is let me get clear on this. What, what is it? What is that? What is it that is mine to do here? Yeah. And that's how I hope to, you know, that's the guidance that I'm looking for. Um, yeah on an individual basis. So I think that's... Yeah. And that's so powerful because as a student of A Course in Miracles, and also, as you know, I, I, I've I been teaching it for uh, quite a few years because I, I have found those teachings to be so, so profound. Um, it says really that, that we should only ask for one thing and it's, God, what would you have me know? What would you, in this moment, what would you have me do so that we get present to the now moment and to just be with whatever is happening there? And and then, of course, it goes on to say that the highest form of prayer is joy. So there is a, there is an enjoyment that should happen for everybody. When you're centered and you're hearing guidance, you should be able to enjoy whatever is before you when you're aligned with truth. Um, and I know that this has been the case for me, but when I align with truth, I get to enjoy whatever is before me as an opportunity. It's, it's, I get to be present with my mom's passing. I get to be present with my son drugging. I get to be present with a client. I get to be present at a birthday party to enjoy that I get to be the one who is present. And then God, what would you have me bring to this situation? What would you have me do here? Um, has been life transforming because I have realized that in the acceptance of what is, I actually, I, I, 
I can be of more benefit to the situation. I can bring something to it that that cannot come from my ego mind, but it comes through my acceptance that everything that's in front of me, I'm supposed to enjoy it as as an opportunity. It's a pleasure. It's it's a it's a grace. It's an honor. So how were you moving through? Um, so many, you know, what, what the world would say, such a tough time with the death of, of Charlie. And then on top of that, the legal stuff. And on top of that, you're dealing with, because not only is there the trauma of the loss, but there's the trauma that's being inflicted upon the family because of the, the legalities involved in, in not a peaceful passing. How are you inside? You're using all these prayers. How are you showing up that you know is different than how you would have shown up if all you had in your mind was your your Catholic indoctrination? So it's like night and night and day. And I have to say, I've gotten to the point in my life that, that I I don't even really remember how I would have been, which I'm grateful for. You know, I I, I think right now in my life, I think with everything that's happened with my brother Charlie and it's still going on. Um, it's just one day at a time. It's one step at a time. One, you know, and whatever comes up, I, I use a, a, a phrase quite often, you know, God, please think through me, speak through me, act through me. It's a kind of a reminder of who I really am and that, you know, the things that I need to do and the things that I need to say and the decisions I need to make are divinely guided. And, and the more, the, the more I recognize that, the more that I, ask for that guidance and that clarity and, and remind myself of who I am, uh, the better I can serve others. And my whole goal in life is to be of service. And that's even to my family, you know, in, in what we what we experience. You know, I try to find ways that I can, you know, my family has a wonderful sense of humor. That's one thing that we are very blessed by, even in, in the midst of tragedy. I remember the, just a quick story with my mother. When my mother died, I remember she was born with no feet, and so she had prosthesis, and we used to call those prosthesis her feet. That was just the term in my house. So now I have to pick out her clothes for her funeral, for her, you know, because she's going to be an open casket. So I'm, I'm charged with picking out a dress for her to wear. And I just paused, and I said, well, what do I do with her feet? Do I bury her with my her feet? Or so I called up my brothers. Well, I have to tell you, we cried. We were laughing so hard at the, about this silly thing. And it was a wonderful way of release. And I guess that's what we did use it for, right? We use the laughter as a release. And so the, the bottom line was, you know, my mother would never go out of the house without her feet. So she's not coming into the casket with that. <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed. And so that kind of sense of humor, that kind of, uh, you know, not so nice sometimes sense of humor um, is prevalent in my family and um, so so that's what brings us closer I think yeah. and I think also for me personally you know just having all of this wonderful background of the spiritual path that I have been on for so long I find it much easier to step into these difficult situations and you know, um, we, you know, we're waiting, for example, we're waiting for the autopsy report. And that's my sister-in-law's world that she's living in. And I have to honor her space and her time to handle all of those things and just know that I'm there. My, my brother Dennis is there as a resource and a support system for her um, and, and to hold her in the highest light possible so that she can step into all of this in a place of peace. And so, you know, we, we do that for each other. And um, I know that God is guiding this just as God is guiding everything. And I just have to live in that world of knowing that the right and perfect outcome is going to appear. And the right and perfect outcome is not always what we as humans would like to see. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the, the challenges I think that many, many people have is that they put expectations on things um, when um, if we just let God do God's work. Yeah. Well, and as, as you're talking about your family bringing laughter to the situation, it's that to me has been one of the most profound aspects of my my awakening is the realization, like in The Course of Miracles says, the highest form of prayer is joy is because when I began to realize that what I am is eternal, all of these things that are happening in the world are are like um, it's just like the the part that I'm playing in a movie. I am an actor. I, the consciousness that is that is my eternal soul, 
is playing the role of Lina in this movie called This Lifetime. So to be so upset about what the character is doing is the suffering that my indoctrination uh, had taught me was normal. But to not side with my character and stand in my eternal self and side with that, align with that, has allowed me to bring a level of compassion and reverence for the suffering of everybody who is caught up in the character. And something that I was hearing you say is you're giving your your sister-in-law space to deal with whatever she's doing um, in whatever way she needs to do it. Because I think that that's one of the most beautiful things that aligning with God, source, spirit, whatever we want to call it, is that's what unconditional love does. Because that's what I've come to realize Jesus was teaching us. Love your God, love yourself, love your neighbor. Unconditionally, no questions asked. It doesn't matter what's going on. And some of the things that um, make it easy for people to understand the the before awakening and the after awakening um, is how we deal with things is what's really profound. Because during my mom's passing, when I was totally unconscious, there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of anxiety and one-upmanship between my sisters and I. You know, who was going to be right about how we were going to handle things? But then after that, especially with my son going through his drug adventure, was a, a gentleness and a being present to and a peace and a trust. Like you were saying, there, something is happening that needs to be happening. Speak to those two things that now through all of your years on your journey, you have an awareness of what happens inside of you because of what you know as truth. And you can also observe in others who don't know that same truth that you do. What's the two differences, if you were to categorize them, um, that would be a wonderful example to share with people to inspire them to want to go through a spiritual awakening, to inspire them to want to become more conscious? Because to me, it's where the rubber meets the road. How do we deal with what is going on that really reflects our level of consciousness, whether we're consciously aware of this truth or not? So it's interesting. So yeah. So with all of this that's been going on with my brother, I, you know, we did a lot of our, our communicating by text. You know, because it was group group text and it was just easier. And um, there was a, of course, a tremendous amount of anger about what was going on with Charlie, you know, because my sister-in-law was witnessing, you know, what was being done or not being done for her husband and having to handle the, the, the trauma that her, you know, adult sons were going through. And um, at the same time, her mother um, had Alzheimer's and, and she died within days of my brother dying. So she oh, had wow. a tremendous amount um, to deal with. And so, one of the things that I recognized in this whole process was that I, you just, no matter where I am spiritually, I need to allow people to experience what they're experiencing on their own level, wherever they happen to be, and not say, you should do it this way. You know, that's not my job. That's not my role. That people need to journey on their own. And what I feel my role is in this world, part of my role in this world, is to allow that, to allow people to witness things the way they could be. Um, you know, once you start on a, a spiritual path and you begin to recognize that God, you know, um, if you delve deeply in, in, into the God that lives and breathes as you and bring that God forward, um, people see that and they begin to witness something different in me or you. Um, and yet at the same time, on the flip side, I am witnessing uh, their pain. You know, there was been a lot of pain in my family as a result of all of this. And I'm witnessing that and I'm holding a sacred container for them. I am holding them. I, I kind of imagine a, a soft bubble that I place the, them in and allow them to be who they need to be safely. Yes. You know, and that's to me. The, the what we all should be doing for each other yeah. you know being protectors of each other allowing everyone to experience their journey the way that they need to experience it it's not mine to say you should do this 
Mm -hmm. and I think it is my role to, to maybe be um, a, a bit of the uh, example. Yeah. Um, because you'll see in anybody's journey, the pain that they go through, same, like you did, you experienced with, with your mother and your, your son. You know, those are painful experiences that we all, every single human being on this planet goes through. And we have choices along the way on how we are going to step forward outside of those. Once we, once we go through those experiences, who are we afterwards? How can we um, take what we have learned and live our lives differently? Because by living our lives differently, people are, that are around us are experiencing that difference as well. Yeah, it is really a very personal thing for every one of us. Yeah, I love, love, love your answer because going back to contrasting what I came to discover as the truth for me uh, about the teachings of Jesus versus what I was taught through organized religion. And that's that he was an example of unconditional love. He did not even judge the people who were judging him. He, he if anything, he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. And that level of letting everybody go through their journey, wherever they are, uh, is to me is what love is. Love frees everything to be itself. And the, the awakening process has been a little by little by little, moment by moment by moment, opening of my eyes, waking up more and more and more to the embodiment of that truth. Um, because what I'm aligning with is that God is love. And that's what Jesus was teaching. And that he taught, I and the Father are one. So for me, God and I are one. And if God is that love, therefore, what we are is love. And if love loves, then there's nobody to judge. And what better example than one who is accepting? And because there's not a whole lot of that in this world right now, accepting people. Gosh, you know, I don't live there all the time, but it's definitely what I strive for. What is it that you believe um, if you if you could just, you know, call it one thing or two things, what is it that you have discovered to be your ultimate truth through this journey of awakening? Um, my true belief is that we are all, we are all connected. I like to use um, the idea that if you sit on a, a beach anywhere in this world, you're sitting on the sand anywhere in this world on this planet. That sand has traveled this planet millions and millions and millions and millions of times. The air that we are breathing has been breathed millions of times. So how can we deny the fact that we are connected, that we are one, that there is this oneness that, you know, the ground that we walk on has been walked on the, uh, millions and millions, billions and trillions of times. Um, the energy from all of those creatures is, permeates everything. It is everywhere. So how can we possibly deny that we are connected? And recognizing that connectedness, that oneness is is what I do, what I strive to do. And you know, we're not, you know, we are constantly working on this. And, and like you had just indicated, we are constantly trying to get to the I, at least I'm trying to constantly get to that point of recognizing the, the oneness in all of us, no matter what comes out of our mouths, no matter where we are on our path, um, that we are connected. And everybody's journey is their own, you know, it's, it's yeah. Is different, and I want to honor everyone's journey because I know I'm on one too. Yeah, I'm on one too, and I'm going to stumble and fall and pick myself up and do it again and again and again. And each time, I'll get a little bit better, a little bit clearer understanding, a little bit more clarity. Um, yeah, path that I'm on. You know, and so that to me is the most important thing that I strive to recognize is that we are truly connected. Oh, I love that. I love what you just said. It's just so beautiful, you know, to to again contrast the this the spiritual journey, the teachings that point to truth versus the indoctrination types of teachings is that the big difference to me, glaring difference is that I've never found any teachings of truth, like A Course in Miracles, like, you know, you were talking about Yogananda, who definitely was uh, part of my teachings. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, the so many beautiful mystical teachings that have been around, they all are about love and compassion and trusting that we don't know what anything is for, 
but we do know that everything can be loved. So to live our lives as opposed to the indoctrination of judging, you should be doing it this way, but instead live as in, I don't know what's best for you, but I know I, I'm supposed to love you, is just so beautiful and liberating. And, and I mean, it's what you were doing. It's what you are doing. And speaking of what you are doing, you know, you're a beautiful example in our community because I attend Unity North in Atlanta and Marietta, Georgia, as does Di um, uh, Diane, because she she has a, a role there. Thank you for bringing your level of consciousness to our community and um, just being a beautiful example there, because obviously we've all followed your journeys with your brothers. But tell me, what, why do you love working there? Because I, I, I'm curious. You could go anywhere. <laughs> well, but I worked in healthcare for probably close to 40 years, and I managed medical practices. And so when this position came up, and I actually applied for it several times before I actually got it as executive director, it was it was very much in alignment with what I did for a living. You know, managing a, a medical practice is very much like managing a business. And so as the executive director here, that's my role, is I, behind the scenes, manage the business of the church, making sure that we were, you know, that everything that we do will be here for 20 years is really what we, what our, our goal is, or, or longer, forever. Um, so I love what I do because, you know, it's interesting. It was always interesting. It's interesting to me that what I have done for my entire life in a business world, I could transfer to to my spiritual community. Yeah. I've been coming here for probably 14 years, but working here for five. Um, so how cool is that? You know, to be able to take what I have done for my life, you know, managing running businesses and transferring that to my spiritual community and helping it to thrive as well. Um, you know, we have a wonderful spiritual leader in Richard Burdick that, that is going to continue this message for many, 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 many years to come, we hope. And hopefully I can help to make sure that the place is here for many years to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Right. I mean, it couldn't be any better. Couldn't be oh. any better. That's amazing. I, I love hearing that. I absolutely love, love, love that you were able to merge your your work and your spirituality as, as I get to do that because my work is teaching, you know, the, the spiritual truths that I know. So what are some things that you have observed um, in, in a spiritual community that it is gives you hope for the future? Because as the world is in the midst of facing lots of walls that are that are beginning to come down, um, what is something that, that you or some things that you're observing happens in spiritual communities that is giving you hope for what happens out there? I think in our particular spiritual community, because we, we do teach oneness, I mean, that is what the, ba the basis of unity um, the conversations that are taking place. I think it's the conversations are necessary for us to be able to uh, step forward into the future, um, to have the difficult conversations, to not shy away from, you know, we, we are a community that um, has many different types of people coming through our doors. You know, because we teach oneness, there are many different people look seeking, but many of them are seeking something. Um, and so we, it's a it's a line that we walk because we want to honor all paths. Uh -huh. And so that can, you know, we, we have to be able to hear what everyone has to say and to be able to have the conversations and to seek to understand. You know, I, I'm a big, big questioner. I constantly say I'm a, a skeptic sometimes because I constantly question, you know, why? What, what, what is your understanding? Please explain it to me more. So help me to seek to understand, you know, um, in some of the project management trainings that I've had in the past, it's always the five whys, you know, you keep asking why until you get to the root cause or the, the, you know, the true answer. And that's what's wonderful about Unity North is that's what we do is we're constantly asking the questions to learn more, to get a better understanding, to get the clarity that, that um, of any given situation. So I think that's, to me, when I look around our community and how, how diverse it is, yeah, wonderful, and how much we enjoy that diversity. I think it's very cool. It's a really cool place. Yeah, that that is just so amazing and wonderful, and you do that so well. So we're going to wrap things up, and because also these uh, Facebook lives that I do um, are also now podcasts, 
um, people who are listening, as well as people who are viewing, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? If they want to become, obviously, through Facebook, they can become your friend. But what if they're listening to me through the podcast? How can they reach you if they want to follow? Because you put out those beautiful, you know, daily quotes, your uh just they're so beautiful and so touching um how can people reach you plus you're a writer you you've got awesome stuff yeah so i have two facebook pages my own personal one under, under diane glenn and i have another one called this moment which i don't keep up as often a lot of a lot of it is, has to do with time um but they can always reach me at unity north unity north atlanta unitynorth.org or just call our office the, the number is on 800 <laughs> yes, and, and Diane Glenn is spelled D-I-A-N-E-G-L-Y-N-N for anybody who wants to friend her on Facebook that is listening to this. Thank you so much for sharing this hour with us and inspiring people. I'm sure that those who've been watching have just so enjoyed and gleaned all kinds of nice little nuggets um, from your beautiful, transparent sharing. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lana. It's been fun. I can't believe that an hour has passed already. So it's I good. know. We, we could keep talking forever. We could. We could. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So next week on the next episode of Align with Lina, I've got my friend Linda um, Gabriel, who's going to come back. She's been with us once before, and she is just absolutely uh, wonderful, amazing, a wealth of information. So she will be here with us. And I want to thank Ella for letting us know that she loves us both, um, Diane and I, and for Juanita. Um, you are more than welcome. And she's saying, thank you for sharing your journey. Her heart is happy. Well, we love to make happy hearts. Um, thank you all so much for being a part of this. And we'll see you next week on Align with Lina Mondays at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. See you all later. And remember, we really truly are one and we are magnificent. Bye-bye. <laughs>